0: Russell Moore will, from time to time, relate the story of how he almost took his own life. If you know who Russell Moore is, then you are likely shocked at hearing this. The Reverend Dr. Russell Moore is currently the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today magazine, and for a decade before that, he was the president of the SBC's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. At the age of 15, however, he contemplated ending it all. Not like so many of God's other children who are haunted by this tragic thought, not because he lost faith in himself or, in, or he lost faith in his God, but instead, as he writes, because what he was seeing all around him in Bible Belt Christianity threw him into a prolonged spiritual crisis. Growing up in rural Mississippi, he says, I knew of Christian people who beat their children for listening to secular music. I knew of Christian people who denounced the vulgarity of the culture around them but seethed inside with racism. He could see the naked corruption as the church he grew up in sold itself to secular politics. He watched as pastors around him and most prominently televangelists in the news got wrapped up in the same scandals that pastors and televangelists these days get caught up in. Sex, money, corruption, addiction, or some combination of those. And, as he remembered, These things terrified him. I really believed that Jesus was the son of the living God. He says, I really believed that Jesus loved me because the Bible told me so. And if the gospel that I had been given was really just about finding ways to get voters to back party bosses or to pay for women and cocaine for some preacher on television, then for me that would mean much more than just some adolescent cynical awakening. It would mean that the universe is actually a random, meaningless void. It would mean that the preacher I knew who beat his daughter for dancing was not an aberration, but was instead the way that the cosmos is, right down to its core, and that he remembers feeling. That was a horrible, horrible thought. Our gospel lesson this morning confronts us with one of Jesus' parables. But to understand it best, let's set the stage, if you don't mind. We're in chapter 21 of Matthew's gospel here, so we are already late in the story. Jesus has been in ministry for a couple of years, so everybody in the region knows who he is, and he has already developed Quite a following. Several days ago, he entered into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey in the midst of a crowd who loudly proclaimed him to be Israel's true king. Soon after that, he entered into the temple there in Jerusalem and he drove out the money changers, overturned their tables, claimed that space as his own, and in their place began to heal. And a number of the people that he healed would not have previously been invited or allowed into the temple. Just a few days following this, Jesus will find himself arrested, interrogated, tortured, and crucified. Therefore, it is little surprise if we find him in our passage this morning in conflict with his people's religious leaders. As they go back and forth, Jesus decides to tell them a story. A man had two sons, Jesus says. He goes to one of them and says, there's work to be done, get to it. Now, to his father's face, this first son is insulting. He flatly refuses him. But the next thing you know, he is out in the field doing his father's work. Meanwhile, the father has gone to his second son. Son, he says, there is work to be done. Get to it. This son is polite. He looks his father in the eye. He addresses him respectfully as sir, promises that he will do what he is supposed to do, but at the end of the day, he has failed to accomplish anything of note. So what do y'all think? Jesus asks the chief priests and the scribes. Which son was really about the work of his father? The one who gave him lip but ended up doing his service? Or the one who simply gave him lip service? They replied to him that it was the first son, the one who appeared outwardly disrespectful but ultimately did the work that his father needed done. And Jesus replied to them, yes, just so. And truly I say to you now that the prostitutes and the tax collectors will be in line in front of you for the kingdom of heaven. As I read this story, I was reminded of a conversation from back when I was in high school. I can't remember what the scoop was at the time, what horrible thing had been done or been said, whether or not it was some kind of a scandal with sex, drugs, or corruption, or something like that. I'm not that much younger than Russell Moore, so perhaps I'm remembering something that he recalls from his teenage years as well. But whatever it was, a kid in my youth group was hung up on it, saying how he couldn't believe that a person could be so crooked on one hand, while all the while loudly and lavishly and ostentatiously proclaiming their Christian faith on the other. one of the adults who volunteered with our youth group, who's a good guy, very well-intentioned, he was trying to reassure him. Yes, he said, I know that this looks bad, but you don't know where his heart is, so you can't judge him. You can't judge him because you do not know where his heart is. To which my friend very clearly replied Yeah, but you see, I'm not interested in his heart, I'm more interested in his hands. And I know quite well what his hands have been up to. In today's parable, part of what Jesus is saying to the religious leaders seems to be this. I am not worried so much about your heart. Show me your hands. I don't want to hear how much you love God. I want to see it. What are your hands up to? What are you doing with your life for your neighbor? How are you loving? How are you serving? Because these people... These people over here, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people that y'all want to kick out of the kingdom, those you want to toss out onto the street, these people get it. They have heard the message of John and responded. They have chosen to follow the gospel. You look down on them but they know how to love and to serve and to spread God's good news. What about y'all? In the same article where he reflected on his own teenage crisis, Russell Moore also talks about the crisis that churches all around us are facing right now. In it, he points out that a hundred years ago, if somebody walked away from the church, it was more than likely because they decided that they simply could not buy what the church was selling. That they couldn't believe some aspect of the church's teaching, the empty tomb maybe, or the virgin Birth, Or perhaps they couldn't buy into the ethical demands of Christian discipleship, fidelity, chastity, humility, love. But now, Moore points out, now we see a markedly different and jarring mode of disillusionment. These days, he says, young people are walking away from the church, not because they don't believe what the church teaches, but instead because they have become convinced that the church does not believe what the church teaches. The presenting issue in this period of secularization is not scientism or hedonism, but instead disillusionment and cynicism. They are tired of hearing us talk about our hearts, in other words. And they are much more interested in watching what we do with our hands This past Wednesday was the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi. And like a lot of churches, this afternoon we are going to honor the memory of St. Francis as we host a Blessing of the Animals service here at HAB. At 4.30, we're going to gather out there on the grass and we are going to ask God's blessing on all of the animals that bless our lives and our homes and our families each and every day. And while this is one of the better known aspects of St. Francis's ministry, it certainly is not the only aspect of what he did. St. Francis also gave what he had to the poor around him. He built and rebuilt churches. He built a hospital specifically for lepers. Those people in his world who were considered untouchable, the lowest of the low, and then he himself served them by hand, day by day. He reached out and befriended people around him of other faiths, and specifically, he reached out to Muslims in particular. Since he was living in Europe during the time of the Crusades, Muslims were perhaps the only people that his neighbors would have considered lower than the lepers. As G.K. Chesterton once wrote about him, St. Francis seemed to have liked everybody, but especially those people who other people disliked him for liking. He had a great love for folks who had been put hopelessly in the wrong. Do you see His hands, in worship to the Lord, in blessing the animals, in serving His neighbors who were outcast, in reaching out to His people's enemies, His hands were always at work, constantly busy, loving, and serving, and people saw that and knew. And it changed the world. He didn't have to talk about his heart. In fact, one of his most famous teachings that he gave his followers when he sent them out into the world was to go forth and preach the good news. But only use words when it is necessary. So church, here I ask, Where are our hands? Are they about our Father's business? Or are they about something else? Because if they're about our Father's business, then words will not be necessary. But if our neighbors see that they are about something else, then our words will never, ever be enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.